Thank you for sticking through those commercial breaks. And I am excited to introduce our guest today. He, he is a former employee of Goldman Sachs who has come over to the light side, currently over at Swan and the author of the book, Why Buy Bitcoin? I'm missing a ton, but most importantly, my dear friend, Andy Edstrom. Andy, it's so wonderful to have you join us. Q, it's great to see you, man. Been a while, I feel like, since our last barbecue, since I saw you, but it w I guess it wasn't that too long ago. A lot of water under the bridge, man. A lot's happened happened since then. Dude, it has been. It was, I think the last one was at your place, right? Because we did one at Brecky's back in like January. I mean, you guys have been doing way more. I just, I keep gallivanting all over the country, so I keep missing them. But the L LA crew is held down by none other than Andy Edstrom. I try to do my small my small part to to you know keep the keep the community going. It's I'm always surprised at how few Bitcoiners in in such a huge city are still you know are still hanging around. Some have left, some are traveling world you know world travelers or country travelers, and uh, sometimes they come back. But but yeah, the the crowd always always evolves. Uh, there's definitely a great community. There's several organizers, and yeah, I'm just happy to do my small part. I've also I've slowly come to realize, like you, you and Brecky own the West Side meetups, but there are like I'm over in the South Bay, and there are multiple South Bay meetups. Not even just one, but multiple down here. Then you have Anders and the oh my god, what's the Bitcoin Happy Hour on yeah, Spaces? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they have toxic, one in West Toxic Happy toxic. Hour. Thank you. Toxic happy hour. They do theirs in West Hollywood. And then you have all the way over in the Valley. Like you might as well just be in Arizona at that point. Like they have their own meetups as well. So to your point, LA is also just like way too big, overpopulated. I'd say 80% of the people who live here should be asked to leave, but that's just my two cents. <laughs> I was just on, I was just on with the, with the guy with the client who's talking about his friend who just moved to Idaho. And I'm like, yeah, I got a lot of friends who've moved to Idaho. I can't believe how many friends have moved to Idaho. Idaho's famous <laughs> what can you for do? potatoes, correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Famous for the, that's right, Bill. That's right, Bill. Famous for the potatoes. Also, I got I to gotta comment. Your background is just seamless. Are you in the, uh, the Swan Studios right now? Oh no! This is this. It's picture day. It's picture day. You didn't uh, know? Of course, of course. Got it. <laughs> That's what people always say. They're like, "Oh, it looks like the background when I went to, went to take photos, you know, in grade school." No, no, no. This is this is my this is my home office, and I do have a backdrop, a physical backdrop. Um, oh, see, that's the like trick. My no, kids, no. Look, looks like my kids have been have been, you know, messing around putting pa putting patterns on the backdrop. So, uh, so there. So it for is. For those who don't actually have the relationship that I have with Andy, I, ha I have to say something. You can blame your kids all you want, Andy, but at this point in time, I still do not believe you have a wife and kids. Because <laughs> after the number of times I've been to your home, I've spent time with you, I've seen you both publicly and privately, not one time have I ever seen your wife or children. So rare it's, a really great, it's a really great stick <laughs> you got going for you, man. Yeah, they're 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 rare sightings. I always do use point. I always host Bitcoiners whenever my family's out of town. My in-laws live in Palton Springs, and so she she carts the kids out there, and then I get to hang out with Bitcoiners. So yeah, it's a rare sighting. Rare sighting that the Bitcoiners get to see the family. Oh. I gotta keep them safe from all the dirty Bitcoiners, right? I mean, let's be. This honest. is true. You definitely don't want my influence. You know, it's a fragile minds. 
warped by you, the you uh, and P, you you'd get a you'd get a pass. You you guys seem safe enough, but you know that's a you're the exception. You're the clearly, exception. Clearly, you I, haven't spent enough time around around me at least, or nor <laughs> I for that matter. But I I appreciate it nonetheless, Andy. I did not give you a proper introduction. I don't feel like I sufficiently explained who you are and what you do. Do you mind sharing with our audience a little bit more just about you know what takes up your day to day time? Yeah. What does take up my day-to-day time? Well, the main thing these days, honestly, is Swan Advisor Services. So we literally just launched, and we are currently in the process of onboarding financial advisors and their clients to Swan. And this is the first and only Bitcoin-only solution buying actual coins you know, by financial advisors on behalf of their clients. So as you know, there's all these paper-wrapped Bitcoin products out there, you know, the futures ETFs and, you know, the grayscale and all that stuff. But we're the only ones who are doing this for financial advisors so they can buy actual coins for their uh, clients. And we literally just launched. So the product is in the market. We still have work to do, obviously, to level it up, to add features. And we can talk about that in more detail if it's of interest. But that's like the main thing that's, you know, that's taken up my time today. Of course, you know, also as a financial advisor, you know, I'm, I'm helping, helping family and clients and all the rest try and understand what the heck's going on in markets. And of course, I'm, I'm, first i have to try and understand which is which is always a, a challenge but you know and then obviously you mentioned the book you know i i talk to people about bitcoin i hang out with bitcoiners when i get the chance and uh, yeah man and then occasionally i see my family which may or may not exist as far as you know <laughs> definitely don't like <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, until I meet her and then honestly, I'm going to meet your wife and be like, okay, so like, when did you meet him and how much did he pay for you to say these things to me? <laughs> Just, um, yeah, yeah. Just, you will, you will meet her. I'm sure you will. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you'll meet her someday. She'll come so, forward. She'll so admit I, her association with me. So I want to, I want to jump in. How are people that you're interacting with reacting to the current bear market? Do you, you know, whenever I hear somebody who interacts in the sort of financial services capacity, I have this image in my head of whenever the market goes down, their phones just start ringing off the hook. You're surrounded by like old timey phones and, you know, you're just having to like assuage fears and stuff. Is that happening? How much is that happening? What's that look like for you? Yeah, for me, not as much as you would maybe think. Maybe that's because of, you know, people who have been long trained to understand that there's bear markets as well as as bull markets. So that's one reason I think that it hasn't been too crazy. The other reason probably is that, as you know, it's been sort of an orderly sell-off in, in most assets. I mean, it's been painful and it's a significant bear market, but you know, it's happened over a period of time. It hasn't been like complete panic or pandemonium like we had in March of 2020, you know, or during the global financial crisis in 2008, 2009. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's been some, you know, some handholding and some updating and, you know, trying to trying to help people understand what's what's going on, or at least help people understand what I think is going on, which may or may not be be accurate. 
Got it. And Got it. I also, I just want to say one of the things I love about Swan is that, that I think you guys still have this. Like there is no sell button, or at least what yeah. I was using before there, which is, which is really which is quite revolutionary. Like for there, for people to have to call you in order to sell, is that still the case? Yeah. So it's one of my favorite stories to tell is when I first met Corey, he, I had published the book and I think I'd sent him a copy and then he invited me to this VC lunch. This was roughly two years ago now and, or no, sorry, three years ago now, time flies. And uh, yeah, it was a bunch of VCs and all I wanted to do was talk about Bitcoin. So basically we, we painted that room orange and we went to coffee afterward and he pitched me because the product at that time was, was give Bitcoin, right? That was, that was our first product. And, and that was before the existence of, of Swan in name, as well as in, you know, the actual service, you know, stacking dollar cost averaging, all that good stuff. And so, yeah, he pitched me there in the coffee shop up in, up in Brentwood, the no sell button angle. And I loved it <laughs> immediately. It, it was, I thought it was a genius differentiator. So that's still true on the retail side, right? For advisor, you know, we recognize the reality of the world, which is financial advisors have to rebalance their clients' portfolios. Some financial advisors won't have their clients put all of their money into Bitcoin. <laughs> In fact, very few will. So it'll be part of the portfolio and they'll want to rebalance it. So there'll be times when, for whatever reason, you know, maybe after a big bull run, They'll want to cut back on the position. So yes, sad to say for financial advisors, there is a sell button. Yep. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. For, but me. not for retail, not for your average sat stacker. I mean, yeah, we, we like the idea of of on-ramp only. And if you're taking the off the off-ramp, you better have, you know, a really, a really good reason uh, for doing it. I just this image popped into my head of uh of you guys literally not like it not being physically possible for you to sell a Bitcoin. Like somebody calls you and they're like, I have these medical expenses. Like, you know, my, my family needs it. And you're just like, I'm so sorry. You should have thought about this before you came to Swan. Like we just can't help, which is not the case, obviously. <laughs> I mean, that's true. It's not the case, but I will, I, I wish I had the stat right now. I had, you know, Jan, Jan gave me the stat somewhat recently on, you know, the ratio of sells to buys. And it's like a tiny, tiny fraction of a percent. Yeah. Of sales volume versus buys. I mean, it's like, like you know, it's it's the how many nines, you know, the uptime number, you know, like ninety nine point nine nine nine, you know, percent uptime for for the Bitcoin network. I think the ratio of buys to sells is is something comparable on on Swan. Yeah, I mean, I think it is really you know, it's it's a it's a really great feature. As I said, I think that even of course you know anyone can transfer their funds off or call you guys and sell their Bitcoin if they if they if they need to and everything, but. I think that even that that having that step where you have to like think about it, go through like you know one additional step is is super important. I think gives people you know yeah, it's so, it's absolutely it's absolutely self selection, right? It's you're you're asking yourself, okay, am I taking the long term view? Is this you know is this a at minimum is this a multi year investment at minimum, and or you know realistically is this savings, right? Am I just am am I moving? strategically into this asset over the long term with the intent of keeping my savings in this asset and yeah it's it's good discipline because it, it definitely weeds out you know however whatever percentage of the world that's just interested in trading you know catching the momentum trade making a quick buck 
yeah, those, those guys are probably not the optimal customers for Swan and uh, they're not really good for Bitcoin anyway. So we're happy, we're happy to take the long-term view sat stackers. I'd love to, you know, pick your brain a little bit because whether or not you like, and I feel like you are on the forefront of orange pilling non-Bitcoiners, both with your job at Swan and, you know, the outreach you guys do with current financial advisors, as well as just having written the book you wrote. I want to first start with, you know, the outreach you guys do and some of those conversations you're having. What is some of the most typical pushback you guys get in regards to convincing people that their client's money should be allocated at least partially in Bitcoin? Yeah, that's a great question, Q. So the answer always kind of surprises me. And it's, I would say it's regulation is top of the list, which is sort of puzzling. Bitcoin is like the one digital asset, right? That's unambiguously not a security under US law. In fact, chairman, SEC chairman, the dear Gary Gensler <laughs> has gone so far as to say, as you know, that there's only one digital asset that he's willing to say is not a security and that's Bitcoin. And yet people, I guess, advisors, financial advisors haven't seemed to figure this out. Some of them have, but a lot of them have not. I think personally, I think that that probably comes down to the quality of the media coverage, right? They still, many advisors still have in their mind this concept of crypto or digital assets and there's ambiguity about how it's going to be regulated. And that's true, right? I mean, the, the, how the greater crypto sphere, you know, all these altcoins, et cetera, are going to get regulated is still subject to debate in the long run. But Bitcoin, as we know, is the exception. And yet a lot of people haven't figured that out. So I'm constantly quoting Gary Gensler, <laughs> which is ironic, but, but there it is. You mean Satan's girlfriend, also known as Congress's daddy, Gary Gensler. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. No, no, please. No, no. I was just going to say, I mean, it's it's been funny to watch. I mean, you guys have both been, you know, been watching this whole regulatory situation for a while. I mean, it never fails to amaze and, and surprise in some ways. And yet the story remains the same. You know, regulators going to regulate. They're going to grab as much power as they can. They're going to, you know, basically use whatever motive they can to uh, get more funding to, to staff up their teams. And it's all, you know, with best intentions, I would say, at the lower levels. The higher level you get, the more you question it in terms of the motivations of these guys. And then also, of course, it's the revolving door, right? And some, something else we could talk about, you know, one, one of the things I viewed at Goldman, and then in the years, the many years since, is just this incestuous relationship between the regulators and, and Wall Street. And he's the embodiment of that as well. So you get the whole package with uh, with our man, Gary. <laughs> well, you also get the whole package, I feel like, with someone we were just talking about shortly before you joined us, Jamie Dimon. And you see some of the rhetoric that the powers that be throw, whether it's Jamie Dimon or Klaus Schwab or who, insert whatever evil character that is actually a real life person. And like how much, I, I just want a percentage, but like how much of your time is spent just negating the lies that some of them say? 
Oh yeah. I mean, that's the, that is the constant uphill battle, right? I mean, it's this almost Sisyphean task, you know, put pushing the boulder uphill, trying to educate and respond to the FUD, which is just relentless. I mean, it just keeps coming. It never ends. It never stops. I've been, you know, watching it for probably five years now. Others have been watching it for much longer. I, I, I can only imagine, you know, if you've been in Bitcoin since 2011 or 2012, you know, criminal money, blah, blah, blah. You know, the environmental narrative obviously is, is a big one right now. That's why I wrote, wrote that article actually for Bitcoin magazine on why Bitcoin is the most ESG friendly investment in my clients' portfolios. And we can, you know, debate whether ESG is a useful framework or not. The reality is it's the framework we've got at the moment politically, right? You got these guys on Wall Street as well as in the environmental movement, you know, coalescing around around this thing. I think maybe finally we're seeing some reversal in the ESG movement and narrative in general, not necessarily specifically with respect to Bitcoin, which is why we have to keep educating and, and fighting the, the misinformation. But I'm actually optimistic that, that what's gone on with oil prices, especially, but energy prices in general, has woken a few people up to, uh, to the problems with this ESG narrative. So it's going to be interesting to watch. But yeah, man, it's a, it's a constant battle against, uh, against the FUD. What, all right. You said the, the three-letter bad word. So I get to talk about it now. But let's... I want to start. All right, I'm going to try. I'm going to do the thing that I always do. I'm going to try to get canceled by Bitcoin Twitter. Let's start with the Let's positive aspects go. of ESG. Okay. So there is a degree, and it might literally just be one degree out of a total 360 of truth and validity in some of what ESG. I'm so sorry. G is trying I to do. To... I didn't miss no, you for please a continue. second. Honestly. I know. After, I know you're already like, it's been one hour. Guy. I, I did not miss P. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. <laughs> like, how could, in, just in your opinion, how could, and let's start first on the mining front, how sure. could miners be using ESG to their advantage in today's climate right now? How could miners be using ESG to their advantage? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously the niche application. So you look at guys like, you know, Upstream Data, you know, Steve Barber, you know, the guys that are building skiffs to move to wellheads to take methane, which is like by far the worst greenhouse gas uh, that I'm aware of, and burn it. And just that process of burning methane that would otherwise be vented into the atmosphere, you know, significantly reduces the greenhouse gas effect. So if I was a miner specifically focused on that type of model, you know, as opposed to like a, you know, dedicated installed data center, which is another very important model of mining, that's what I'd be focused on. That's like the one obvious thing where, where something that wasn't happening before, you know, was resulting in worse greenhouse gas emissions than the solution that the miner is, you know, is delivering. That to me is like the most obvious use case 
I would probably focus on if I were a miner. I think there's another angle, which is, you know, we're just a data center business and all data center businesses use energy. Our energy usage for our data center business happens to support, you know, a multi-hundred billion dollar monetary network that clears billions of dollars of value a day. So, you know, your data center business may deliver, I don't know, may deliver porn to people's computers. <laughs> that's a different business. And that's fine too. That's another angle that, that I might take. I have to admit, I haven't thought too hard from a specific PR perspective what I would do if I were running a mining operation. I think it depends a little bit on, you know, on what model you use as a miner, you know, is whether you're sort of a big installed base with some, you know, dedicated energy source off grid or whether you're on grid and providing, you know, peaking, peaking demand to manage the grid overall, you know, or, or whether you're, yeah, you're building these smaller operations that are, that are taking gas off the, off the wellhead, but that's a few thoughts. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your digital assets. Collateralized loans are great for living expenses, buying a car, or even for when you just have to have that sweet Rolex. But what isn't so great is when you then lose the ability to trade your assets once your loan has been taken out. So just like you, Moon Mortgage believes you should be able to have your cake and eat it too. Moon Mortgage's Trade and Borrow is the world's first digital asset loan margin account, allowing you to instantly trade your Bitcoin while borrowing against your account, all with next to zero insolvency risk, no origination fees, nor any third-party risk, as Moon Mortgage will never lend out your digital assets. Welcome to the future of collateralized lending. Visit moonmortgage.io today to learn how you can trade, borrow, and then trade your digital assets some more. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our proof-of-workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 Euros for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. No, I, I think you bring up a lot of excellent points. And to even expand on that, it feels like we are in real time bearing witness to an A-B test of sorts where you have a state like New York come out and make 
new mining operations very difficult to open up versus a state like Texas that embraced Bitcoin mining and saw in a span of two years ago, we were mocking Texas for their energy infrastructure and literally Ted Cruz hopping on a plane to go to Cancun because it was too cold in his own house and then flip it a year later and they don't have enough energy throughput to power all the AC units in all the homes all across Texas that were requiring it to now this year utilizing Bitcoin miners that need excess energy and then boom, they didn't run into a single hiccup this year. It a very quick resolution to an issue that we were genuinely mocking and laughing about not even a year ago. I think it will be really interesting to see how this expands. Please. And that's part of the part of the beauty of the of Bitcoin, right? It it reacts quickly. I mean, this is a dynamic system with multiple parties providing multiple functions, you know, whether it's the miners, whether it's the node runners, you know, whether it's just hot this thing reacts quickly. I mean, it's a yeah, it's another good case study just like uh, the china ban right when when it was sort of a, a moment of panic for a little while and hash rate plummeted for a while and yet you know within a period of months you had a reversal of that trend you had all this mining capacity move to where it was treated best that's the genius of the network it moves to the the, the hashing capacity moves to where it's treated best just like Bitcoin hodlers move to where they're treated best, right? <laughs> and it's a big world out there. And, you know, the funny thing about U.S. policy and Texas specifically, I go back and forth on this. I'm like, part of me says, okay, great. Fantastic that all this mining capacity has come to the U.S. Specifically, we're a pretty safe jurisdiction, especially, as you say, Q, where states have the ability to make a comfortable home relatively for for miners as opposed to other states that you know that don't that want to do the opposite and that's fine so the so the the capital and the benefits whether it's you know jobs or capital inflow or managing the grid accrue to those jurisdictions that are most friendly to it and but then i think to myself okay do I really want, you know, half the mining capacity within one jurisdiction like in the US? I mean, I'd pick the US over probably any other jurisdiction out there to have the most mining capacity. And yet, you know, I don't want a repeat of, of China. I don't want two thirds of the mining capacity coming coming to this country. So I go back and forth. It's okay. It's okay to have some some states be a little negative, make it a little harder for miners to to come into this country. You know, if at the margin that means, I mean, really at the margin, it probably means more of them, you know, moving to to Texas and similar states. But if at the margin it means, you know, a little more to El Salvador or you know parts of Africa or South America, that's not a bad thing. I, I love that aspect, and I want to explore that with you because. To your point, like we saw it happen in May of 2021, where lo and behold, China comes out, bans Bitcoin mining, but they had such a heavy amount of the network hash rate, Bitcoin price followed as a result. Yeah. Shinobi recently wrote an excellent article kind of alluding to what you're saying, where this is actually really dangerous because especially in the US, where publicly traded companies especially, seem to be beholden to the government and regulators should they decide on a whim to change the rules of how the game is played. They either have to adhere or leave. It is a little concerning. Pete, I'd, I'd love your input because you're far more technically savvy than I could even imagine in my wildest dreams. But could we just discuss maybe the difficulty of 
let's say there is some sort of sweeping legislation around proof of work mining. What would your expectations be on the response from the broader Bitcoin ecosystem as well as the domestic miners in particular? Interesting. It's I will admit it's not something I spent too much time thinking deeply about, but I mean if it was not advantageous to US-based miners to mine Bitcoin in this country, they would simply go to wherever it was advantageous to do so. That would be a huge loss for the United States, but I think it's as, as simple as that. Now, if we start getting into some kind of like Orwellian situation where they're trying to like destroy miners as has happened in some other countries, which to be clear, I could never imagine happening. I mean, then I think it would just be driven underground. In terms of the Bitcoin community's reaction, I think... I mean, we're already seeing heavy, you know, investment into systems that help decentralize the process of mining Bitcoin already. Stratum B2 is a big one. I think things like that would be, would see a lot of support pour in very rapidly in order to just make sure that things, you know, at a protocol level were, uh, were as decentralized and, uh, and robust as possible. But yeah, those are my thoughts. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with everything you said. And to your original question, Q, I mean, yeah, it's, one of the magical things is, as you know, about Bitcoin is, first of all, there's pros and cons and there's two sides to almost every element. And, and, and it's like, well, on the one hand, on the other hand, on the one hand, it's great to have public mining companies because they have lobbying budgets. <laughs> Fantastic. On the other hand, yeah, if, if you got some general prohibition, they'd be in a tough position. But the great thing about the way Bitcoin has developed and the way the network has developed is those guys really don't have that high a percentage of the hash rate, at least the the public miners. Now, I think you could say that if there were a general prohibition, you know, in the U.S., for sure, as you said, P, like a bunch of that capacity would would leave these shores. Maybe on the private side, private companies, you know, even more of those guys would be would have an easier time of, of relocating. I'd just speculate that that would be the case. But yeah, I don't think that it would be, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, it certainly wouldn't be catastrophic to Bitcoin. I think it would be one of those types of events where, you know, you'd get a hit to price, you'd get a sort of a, a FUD wave. And then just like with China, you know, the, the network would react and develop. And by the way, I think the odds of a general prohibition on proof of work mining within the U.S. are very small you know i had to put it you always have to put a timeline on uh, on a projection you know within what time period and so i usually say well okay within a decade or two. Oh, and by the way the story of bitcoin will mostly have played out within a couple decades right we'll either know if we've won <laughs> probably or, or somehow somehow it's failed but uh, that's how i see it uh, that's such a good point because we are sort of seeing in real time how especially in this bear market, the adoption has just not slowed down. And it's a positive sign for hopefully when the next bull market does start, that it will just be have that much greater of a reach. I do now want to play the other side of the coin though. And we talked about sort of how miners in particular can use ESG to their advantage. We're starting to explore a little bit, specifically on this proof of work conversation happening in Congress. You alluded to the fact that you don't you think the odds of some sort of proof of work mining ban is small over the course of the next decade or two or two. I want to just get your sense of as we watch sort of this Ethereum merge complete, kinda 
a completed P you can't watch on the bat. But ultimately, like now this conversation is starting to transpire of, well, they don't use as much energy. Is this now a viable throughput? I'd love just your thoughts on on the ongoing debate between proof of work and proof of stake right now. Yeah, I think it's partly a story of Congress people and their staffs getting up to speed on how all this stuff works. I think it's partly a case study in a major change to a network, which also bears on you know classification as a security versus not. I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's got to be causing people to sharpen their pencils. I think and hope, well, I hope that Bitcoin will remain, you know, a, a nonpartisan issue, relatively speaking. Like, I hope that we'll continue to have support both on the Democratic side and on the Republican side. However, I concede that it's very possible that it will swing one way. We can probably guess which way that is. And I also think that's fine for Bitcoin in the long run because, yeah, I think that Bitcoin's sort of ethos of self-reliance and freedom and don't tread on me and, you know, right to right to hold your assets, you know, and uh, function in society as a free person. I think that all plays into, you know, that all plays into what it means to be an American. And uh, so... It's going to be a long battle, I think, and it's going to be a long drawn out process. I mean, people keep talking about legislation coming that's going to be like sweeping in general and going to cover all of crypto or or even will cover, you know, some sub segments. I don't see it as that likely that we're going to get that legislation, even given the fact that that the White House, you know, requested requested made this request for a study and there's been reports issued. I mean, in one sense, the the legislation engine has been moving slowly. The you know the engine of executive orders and things that the president can do has been moving. But I don't really see resolution anytime soon with respect to how everything is is regulated. And if you're talking about like specific. I don't know, prohibitions or limitations, you know, that's all the, the, the point you're starting at is Bitcoin exists. A lot of people like it. They find value in it. They find it useful. And so anytime you're trying to curtail or limit or prohibit that, obviously you're going to see the, the orange army, you know, march to the rescue. We're going to mobilize the troops. And yeah, that, that it's a, it's a big enough intolerant minority at this point, I think that that any group in any part of government that tries to crack down too hard on Bitcoin is gonna is gonna find themselves facing a lot of opposition, and we've already seen that. I mean, with various attempts at limiting limiting access to it, or you know, treating miners as brokers, right? I think that was that one event that happened. I want to say almost two years now, and mobilized a bunch of let, you know major letter writing campaign, and people were calling their Congress people. And so, yeah, we've already seen the political power that Bitcoiners can bring to bear. And I think that power is only increasing with time. Sorry, I had too many tabs open all at once per usual. I want to unpack this report, P. I don't know if you have finally had a chance to read uh, Paul Stork's blog post. Andy, essentially, 
I'll, I'll give you the very, very summarized, diluted version of this. But Paul Stork on his truthcoin.info blog, thank you, Matt O'Dell, for flagging this, essentially laid out how and why proof of stake mining actually is worse for the environment than proof of work mining. We have reports like, and it, it goes through and essentially explains that the amount of energy you need to gain the amount of capital that you would then use to go and get a staking sort of pool or whatever the terminology is. I don't truly know well enough. So if I use the wrong terminology, feel free to dunk on me because I'm going to fuck. Like that, the amount of energy to access that capital is as much, if not more, than the amount of energy you need to just successfully complete proof of work mining. You have articles and entries like this that go around the ecosystem. You have an article like what Dan Batten wrote months ago now on Bitcoin Magazine as an ESG climate activist who admit in the very first paragraph that I always thought Bitcoin was bad for the environment and I'm here to write and explain how and why my mind was changed and why Bitcoin is actually a tool to help fight climate change. And you're starting to see one by one these dominoes fall in the grander scheme of things, it, it still feels like nothing has changed. But when you see slowly some of these people flip sides, is it hopeful optimism or are we are we going down the right path? Like, is, are these types of conversations and people whose minds are changing and then sharing how and why their mind was changed, is this a positive throughput for the ultimate eventual goal of hyper-Bitcoinization? Yeah, I think you it you know the the if you if you just want to focus on the environmental aspect, it's a little bit of microcosm of everything about Bitcoin, which is everything you thought you knew about Bitcoin when you first read about it is wrong, right? It, and in fact, it's probably 180 degrees wrong. Maybe because whatever you read was from the mainstream media, and they either were uninformed or had an agenda against Bitcoin, you know, or because as we've all found on this you know journey of understanding bitcoin or trying to understand bitcoin you know everything everything you thought about the world or many of the things you thought about the world were actually very different in fact they might be opposite the truth might be opposite of what you thought so in that sense i think the environmental angle is is a microcosm of that of that broader issue and that tells you that okay as time goes by more and more people do the work to understand it and as they understand it they get to the right conclusion and the good news is truth is on our side, right? The truth is, yeah, Bitcoin, in my view, is a net positive for the environment. Generally, you know, broadly speaking, it's a net positive even for, you know, greenhouse gas and, uh, and global warming or climate change. Positive in the sense of, you know, it should help mitigate that problem, you know, rather than exacerbate it. And so... Yeah, I think it just takes time, and uh, and you get yeah more and more people crawling out of the woodwork, especially as you said, environmentalists who started on the opposite side of the argument have done their research and come out the other side and admitted, okay, I was wrong, I didn't understand it fully. I mean, the history of Bitcoin is full of those those kinds of recantments, right? People changing their mind. So yeah, I think that's positive. I think it takes time. I think truth is. On Bitcoin's side, truth is on our side. Bitcoin is good for the environment. It's not bad for the environment. I do have to admit that there's no single narrative 
that you can, you know, write down on the back of a napkin or that you can state in 20 or 30 seconds, you know, a sound bite. At least if there is, I haven't found it because there's the various different layers, right? There's everything from the case specific, oh, you know, the flared gas mitigation to, oh, you know, it, it, it helps you manage the grid and that's better for efficiency to, oh, yeah, actually it's more efficient than proof of stake in terms of the overall energy input, you know, to the fact that the average mix of, you know, Bitcoin mining is, is relatively renewable and low carbon output. Oh, and by the way, since it's a global market, you know, you actually see, you know, Bitcoin mining seeds and incentivizes the installation of new renewable capacity, right? Because there's all these projects that wouldn't be economically viable without Bitcoin, but now there are. And that accelerates the, you know, the installed base or the installment of new renewable energy, which means that at the margin, you're bringing, you're, you're uh, moving more to renewables in terms of the overall overall fleet of electricity production in the system. Oh, and then, okay, at, at the end of it all, you know, what's better for the environment, you know, hyper consumption as a result of monetary stimulus or living on a hard money standard? So I don't know, I just rattled off six or seven things. They're not even the, you know, all of the, all of the factors are just the ones I could think of off the top of my head. Oh, and of course that was all about the environmental piece. We didn't talk about, you know, social, you know, benefits or governance, the other parts of ESG. So, you know, basically in the last minute or whatever I've been talking, I, I abjectly failed to reduce <laughs> all the environmental factors to, you know, a few sound bites or a few statements. I'm sure there's other people who are much better at it than me, but uh, I think it's a tall task to reduce it, to simplify it, or even just to focus on one factor. Like, do you focus on, oh, if Bitcoin succeeds on a hard, on a hard money standard, you know, then we won't have manipulation of the money supply and we won't consume as much, at least we won't consume as much, you know, useless stuff. That's good for the for the environment. Do you focus on that or do you focus on, you know, those various other factors? It's tough. We talk, I mean, I just... The flip side of that, care. by the way, is you have lots of arrows in the quiver. <laughs> you can, you know, if you listen to your audience, maybe you'll get a sense for what is most likely to resonate with them. I mean, that's the, I guess that's the other side of it is, is there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different weapons you can wield with respect, even just to the environmental factors, depending on who your audience is and what they're likely to respond to. Makes sense. I mean, I feel like most of our audience is, is in the camp of ESG as, as a scam. I mean, personally, I've long felt like the S and the G and ESG are the biggest like tomfoolery bullshit that's ever been swallowed by the masses, like more than Santa Claus. Yeah. And <laughs> Santa Claus is a bold fairy. Santa Claus tooth fairy. Santa Claus is more ESG. real than the S and the G in ESG, in my opinion. Yeah. Hey, man. Well, I can tell you, Santa Claus is is a real to my kids because you know they get they, at least they get presents, right? Interesting. That's proof, that's proof of proof of existence. You're they saying just, you know, my daughter, uh, you know, just uh, just lost both her front teeth. I swear she does exist, Q, and uh, and she got paid by the tooth fairy. So you know. It's interesting. I, I wouldn't expect you to to be someone who supports lying to children, but you know, I guess 
there it is. I mean, he Speaking li- of which, lied to us about having children. So there's that aspect. Uh, to sure, this. that too, that too. This fictional family that you maintain, you know, in public. <coughs> Excuse me. What is your relationship to your family and Bitcoin? Like, how do you guys talk about about Bitcoin within your family? Obviously, your children are not of, you know, working. It sounds like they're not of working age in the United States. But how does that come into the day-to-day conversations? Yeah, life? of course, they do work in the sweatshops, which is why they're not in L.A. Much of the time is, yeah, that sort of thing is frowned upon in this jurisdiction. No, but in, in all seriousness, so what I do with my kids is... I mean, they hear me talk about this stuff all the time. So they're just learning by osmosis, you know, to some degree, especially because, you know, I work from home so much more than I used to, right? I mean, it used to be that I was at the office most of the time and it's not so anymore. So, you know, who knows? They might, one or two of them might be lurking in the next room listening to this conversation. So there's that. I just try to tie it into whatever we're talking about at the time. So, you know, obviously talking about money. I mean, that's something that comes up on a day-to-day basis. My son is is interested in codes and he has a you know like a lockbox where he keeps his secret stuff and it's got you know three it's got a three number combination and uh, so you know he he was he was asking me about combinations and how to keep keep his stuff state stuff safe and of course that was an opportunity to talk about you know how how does cryptography work you know how is it that you can access and keep safe huge amounts of, of value in the Bitcoin system, you know, just by carefully guarding and managing a, you know, a private key or a seed phrase. So there was an op- opportunity to, to talk about it there. Yeah, it's just day-to-day stuff, man. It's like, as you know, Bitcoin touches everything practically in the world. So if that's true, then whatever you're talking about at any moment in time, there's probably a Bitcoin angle, which is why our, our friends and family members get sick of us and why we have to spend more and more time with Bitcoiners, you know, who, who will tolerate it. <laughs> it's just the way it is man that's a great point though if when i was a kid i was obsessed with like what i consider to be cryptography which is like the most basic ciphers you could possibly imagine and i'm realizing that like if bitcoin had been around i would have lost my shit i would have spent so much time becoming obsessed with bitcoin and like signing messages and uh would have been incredible yeah dude i i mean I, i i confess i haven't gotten to that level i really should Basically, I should get, I should get, especially my son, who's the oldest, you know, he's probably ready for actually playing around with it, right? Like actually signing transactions, you know, actually moving value. We haven't reached that stage yet, but, uh, but I probably should. I probably should. It's also a good math tool, right? So he's, he's pretty good at math. And, uh, you know, so, so we talked about what two to the power of 256 means. And I think he's got his, I think he's got his, his, his doublings and his powers memorized up to two to the 10th. So, you know, if I ask him like, Hey, what's two to the eighth, you know, he'll know, he'll know the answer. And it's useful in thinking about, it's useful in thinking about exponentials, right? That's like one of the things that humans suck at is contemplating exponentials. And so I, I, I have a little fun, you know, talking with him and having him imagine, you know, what is doubling that many times look like in terms of scale and you know numbers of atoms in the universe or or whatever measurement you want to you want to put it against so yeah it's fun i think the most compelling thing is literally just be like if you write a message and you sign it with this private key your parents can't read your shit and no one else can in the entire world not even the u.s government i feel like that would be pretty compelling dude that is that is 
that is very compelling, especially since he just got busted because texting DM. But his best friend monitors all of it. <laughs> we probably should. Oh, you're on our side. Uh, I don't know if it's on our end or yours, but your audio is getting choppy. Of our, of our kids, uh, We've lost Andy to the Matrix. Communication. Uh oh. Andy, you still there? I'm here. Can you hear me? We lost you to the Matrix for Can a second. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think you're back. I think the uh, Matrix just didn't like how much we were. Okay. Okay. We're back. It's all good. You know Bitcoin we're Magic Live. About, the show with about- more technical difficulties than anything else. <laughs> uh, you were in the yeah. middle of a cryptography uh, yeah, rant, sure. and then the Matrix the did not like uh, that. So what else? Can you hear, you can hear me not, now though? Like, yeah. We yeah. can. There's a slight delay on your on your video, but I think we can we can just push the lag. Well, I wanna I wanna keep okay. this. We still have two would, more ESGs to, to hit. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, okay. We can keep moving. No, no, no. P and I are no, doing no, I, I was trying to pick I, was, I, I wanna hear to the thread. Oh yeah, communication. Communication. So so anyway, so my so my kid, yeah, my got busted by his best friend's mom, you know, who was watching some of the stuff he was sending and uh, you know maybe some of some of it was a little outside of the the realm of what she felt that a 10 year old that she's talking about and so yeah he needs to get himself on signal <laughs> he didn't have a phone but you know is, sig- is signal on desktop by the way anyone know p would know yes i just did a thumbs up it is yes yeah you, you yeah, can yeah. use it on desktop yeah. it has to be can it it does have to be connected to a phone, though. So if you're asking, is there a standalone desktop app? There is not, unfortunately. There is not. Huh. Well, should I should I tell them about encrypted messaging or not? What's the vote, boys? Yes. I think I, I think so. I think like you know, as a parent, you got to be able to trust your children. You know, you you can give them those tools, but I also am not a parent, so I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I feel like the world we live in today is pretty chaotic and crazy. Yeah. I don't know how you. Do no, I, I'm, in favor. I'm in favor. I'd yeah. rather. What's that? I my mom used to go through my text messages. Just don't do it. Do not do it. Like it's not, I get it's not even you doing it. Something tells me that your son and his best friend may not be best friends for much longer. This is fucked up. I don't care that he's a miter. Like wait, what? This this just got dark, man. I, I feel really like dark. we're like yeah, we're like, seeing into the the the, the fucked up like world this. of Q. Think about it like this. What has now happened is no different than what you and I talked about at the very beginning of this episode, where, or not the beginning, but at the end of news and notes, where you essentially have this surveillance happening over what you're saying. And whether or not you like what I am saying, even if I'm a minor, eventually I'm going to be exposed to this. So instead of, I think, closing people off, having thoughtful conversations, again, mind you, I am not telling you, Andy, how to parent your children or your at least make-believe child, especially not as someone who lives at home with his parents still. But there is a degree of, I think, opportunity in a situation like this. And I would rather personally lean in rather than like throw up the wall, hide, like, no, like, don't do this. But that's just... That's no, I like I like it, man. I'm, I'm I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded because, as you point out, it's like anything else in life, right? You're gonna face you're gonna face this stuff as a as an adult. You're gonna face it as a young adult. 
you know, might as well be realistic about about the world rather than pulling the wool over their or trying to pull the wool over their eyes because you know they'll figure it out. Exactly. It's like, wouldn't you rather have a say in how they experience and learn about this and maybe say a few things that you believe rather than them go out into the big bad world and have to sort of learn it on their own and not understand what biases in turn will be brought into it. But at Bitcoin Magazine Live, we give you all the updated Bitcoin news and tell you how to parent your children (laughs) because two people who have no kids should be doing exactly that. Parenting tips. <laughs> Parenting tips for big for Bitcoiners. Parenting <laughs> tips P and Q. From, yeah, from the childless. Remember, lying to your children is never okay. Make sure from a very young age you tell them that Santa Claus isn't real, there is no tooth fairy, and they will eventually die regardless of what they do. So like what what do you have in store when your kids inevitably are like, yo, so like you're Santa Claus? Like what is your what's your game plan there? Yo, that, that I, I punt that to my wife. I don't have to I don't want to. I don't want to think about hard questions like that. I got enough on my. I got enough to worry about. Q. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go on the other side of, or let's continue this ESG two sides of the coin conversation because we we spent way too much time talking about miners with someone who works at an exchange, and I want to now talk from the exchange perspective, like how could an exchange like Swan use the bullshit that is ESG for their benefit. How can we use the BS of ESG for our benefit? I mean, look, in my opinion- You're obsessed with this question. This is like the third- Here's here's the thing. In my question will be, how do you combat it on the negative side? So just be prepared. Pro pro and con. I have to, it's like debate, uh, it's like debate club. I have to put on- But you're debating yourself. (laughs) <laughs> I can only win and I can only lose. Yeah. So look, when you, cause you asked about Swan, right? And I was thinking Swan specific terms, like you call us an exchange. Yeah. We're kind of an exchange, except mostly in one direction. And, uh, and I think the, you know, part of the core, the core ethos of Swan, right? Is education. And it's what we've been about for day one. And I don't mind saying we got the best team of Bitcoin educators in the world I guess other than Bitcoin Magazine, okay, we'll uh, we'll make it we'll make an exception for you. I was gonna say, watch yourself, counselor. <laughs> so we believe in truth, and there's actually been specific cases of members of the Swan team, Corey in particular, but he's not the only one. You know, calling into doubt things that are said in Bitcoin that people want to hear but aren't true. Maybe we're talking about you know stock flow model as an example. So. We'd rather be on the side of, of truth and reality. And so, you know, educating people about what the real environmental effects or the real social effects are of Bitcoin today and in the future is right in line with, you know, our belief that we should be truthful. So when truth is on your side, it's easier. Now, it means you got to have resolve and a long-term view and you got to st- you know, stand in the face of of all the misinformation, all the lying, and all the uh, propaganda against it. But yeah, I mean, I I sleep easier at night knowing that uh, truth's on my side, and I think that's true of uh, probably the entire Swan team. How you like that for an answer? What I got? What I got? I was, take the opposite view now. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was about to just say, like, you know, what I'm going to say next. So, do you want to just continue on the other side of the coin? I'm going to make. I do, I do yeah, appreciate that because that 
that context, I think, P, stop playing with the flint. That's true. That's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> here's the <laughs> fire, fire. Yeah. Here's the here's the here's the other uh, element I'll add there too, which is, as you know, since we talked about it already, with the with no sell button, you're already self selecting for, you know, a, a subset of people who might be interested in in buying Bitcoin, and on average, those tend to be the ones that are you know honestly learning about it as opposed to looking at at it like a trading sardine right as opposed to an eating sardine a lot of people probably won't get that reference but that's all right i bet i bet uh, you guys do it's a great reference yeah and so it's like your job is a little bit easier in the sense that your the percentage of potential customers or clients that you're likely to resonate with is open-minded you know, they, they are, they're basically putting themselves on the right path to begin with. And so they're more likely than the average person in the population to see through the falsity of the narratives with, with ESG. So that, so that, and by the way, I think that's partly by design, right? I mean, you know, our management team was smart about how they structured and set Swan apart from, you know, any of the, whatever multi-coin exchanges out there, you know, we, we, if you're right in the long term about Bitcoin being the thing, then there's no better business plan than to start with the small segment of the population that's figured this out and then just grow on the back of, you know, that broadening percentage of the population. I mean, it's starting with a very tiny percentage of those who are open-minded to it. And then as the, as Bitcoin wins, right, as it, as it expands, you just, you ride that, you ride that train and you make a multiple on it because you're you're gaining share on a growing on a growing pie. That makes sense. I wanna I'm dead serious, but like when will Swan allow you to sell their Bitcoin? Because I have DM'd I Who have cares? DM'd Jack. I have DM'd Jack Mahlers as well asking when will Strike allow you to just send Bitcoin? to the strike app as well yeah man i mean look i uh, i know some of the things on the product roadmap and uh, i don't divulge i don't see no i mean i don't see some of this stuff is obvious right like at swan we believe in bitcoin we see growing opportunity with the growing population that's coming into bitcoin and whatever's good for people's ability to store their wealth and their value in Bitcoin and ultimately transact in Bitcoin, you know, and and hold it securely, you know, that's all, that's all within the Swan ethos. I probably don't even have to, you know, make any specific comments. I mean, you guys can imagine what that means. Like what, you know, what potential functions would you want to have in the future for, a company that is built on on Bitcoin and built on supporting people's use of Bitcoin. Now, I think timing is the you know is the is the better question. You know, it's always the hard thing. One of the hard things about building a company in Bitcoin is the order of operations and the trying to. It's like anything else, right? The timing is always the hard part. Like when will supporting some specific functionality with Bitcoin be in demand, right? Well, it's hard to know. Like when you know, like payments in Bitcoin are already a thing, but they were, you know, they've been a thing for years, 
you know, had they really moved the needle on adoption to some degree, but not nearly as much, you know, as just people, you know, wanting to store their wealth, right? So the store of value, we learned, I guess we learned the hard way, right? <laughs> that that was the thing, that was the priority and was going to be the priority in the early years. And on average, payments would come later. So, you know, th things like that, knowing when there's going to be demand for some functionality on top of Bitcoin, that's really hard. And so you want to have lots of irons in the fire. But then, of course, you also want to focus on what's going to hit and what's going to be popular in the market soon. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to make like specific comments on our product roadmap, but but obviously we consider ourselves to be one of the core companies in Bitcoin. And if you're going to be a core company in this new financial system, well, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of features and functionality and products that, uh, that you're going to want to build. Mealy mouth to answer. Sorry. Hmm? Mealy mouth to answer. Oh. On the one hand, no. on the other hand, generality, no, I mean, vague generality, number one, you know, fluffy comment, number two. <laughs> what, nah, you're doing, you're you, doing great. What you don't realize is was, Corey and Jan are in the audience right now watching as we record this live. So everything you say is going back to the powers that be at Swan. So you've answered this and handled it very well. They could be, you know, they could be in the chat as far as I can tell, because my chat function's not working here. So, you know. Who knows? But they may be they may be telling me to shut up as we speak, and I wouldn't know it. Q oh, hasn't I... made it easy for you. We need like somebody needs to excuse me make a supercut of the number of times Q has mentioned DSG or asked you to justify or to fight against DSG in this conversation. One thing that I want to keep him on his toes <laughs> by asking him the same question. Over it's good. It, it's it's, the, it's sharpening it's sharpening my weak my weak ESG uh, conversational skills. It's good. And we all we, us, it, we all get sharper. We all get sharper debating this stuff. You know, we get ready for the next conversation with whatever normie friend or family member we've got. You know, who's who's going to ask us the question, and we're only going to have we're only going to be allowed twenty seconds to respond. And so we got to we got to raise our game all the time. Yeah, I have a note here that says in a previous interview you claimed that ESG would end world hunger and also <laughs> cure cancer. Can you justify your position today here within the next 10 seconds? Go. Yeah. Now, I, I want to ask you a question that is that is kind of at a left field. And I'm happy to give you an example for me, if that's helpful. I want to know what are some of the, the kind of formative professional or personal experiences that you have had in your life? And I'll, I'll make it a little bit easier by giving you an example for me personally. I was, I majored in neuroscience and, but, but I also went to an art magnet high school and I studied photography. And there was this whole thing where I was like, there was a brief period where I was like, oh, am I going to go study photography professionally or am I going to go into the sciences? And then I was like, that's, I don't need a skill that, you know, has no like material purpose Then I can do that on the side anyway. That's the whole other thing. But one of the top living photographers in the world lives in New Mexico and I, and teaches at the University of New Mexico. And I went with a good family friend who was trying to, who, you know, was sort of, we were touring colleges or whatever when I was in high school, uh, you know, 200 years ago. And we were trying to like, you know, get, get a tour and everything. The tour was boring. And I was like, well, I guess this is over. Like it's, it's, uh, it's not a great experience. And he was like, no, 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 fuck that. We're going to go find this guy. I was like, you can't do that. Like he's, this is a, a very famous person who has very famous people that he talks to and has to do stuff. And he was like, no, 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 that's all bullshit. That's not how the world works. And we literally just walked around and we were like, do you know where this guy is? Do you know where this guy is? And people were like, who are you? He's like, it doesn't matter. Anyway, we finally just walk into this guy's dark room and we're like, Hey, um, I'm not coming to the school. Tell us about yourself. And it was like mind blowing to me because if you just do anything with enough confidence and you're genuine about it, 
you can go in anywhere. People will let you get away with whatever, whatever the fuck you want. And it blew my mind and like changed the way that I interact with people overall. So it's a long-winded story. I want to hear your version of that in any capacity. What was a moment for you that fundamentally changed how you view the world around you at any age? Wow, dude. That's a great story, by the way. And I mean, you got to have balls, right? To got to have balls to, to walk in and get what you want. That's a great, that's a great life lesson. I love that. Oh man. Should I, should I talk positive? I guess I'll, you know, honestly, part of, part of my journey has been recent and it's been driven by Bitcoin and it was, it's basically podcasting and having conversations like this one. I always considered myself to be a good writer but I never considered myself to be a very good talker. Honestly, I always considered myself sort of weak when it came to, you know, direct argumentation, just conversation, you know, especially on a live basis. And so I will, you know, give credit to heavily armed clown for inviting me on his, on his podcast. And that was the first podcast I had ever done. We talked about the book, why buy Bitcoin? And that sort of opened the world of, yeah, podcasting, you know, live discussion, interviews, basically all this internet-based live communication face-to-face in a way that I just hadn't been involved before and that I didn't really have the confidence in, to be honest with you. I mean, I kind of, I think I had thought of myself as someone who should communicate by writing rather than by talking. And so, yeah, it was, it was awesome to, to have that door opened. And it's been a ton of fun for me. And uh, I don't know, I guess I wasn't, either I wasn't as bad at it as I thought, or maybe somehow through just sheer practice, I've gotten a little bit better over time. But uh, that's opened, you know, the world, the world for me, both in Bitcoin specifically, and also professionally overall. And that's in the last few years. That's awesome. And yeah. was that a like a gradual process? Like, did you sort of do it more and more and then you became more comfortable speaking about Bitcoin in the space? Or was there a moment where you were like, oh man, that was a fucking horrible performance. And then you talked to a friend and they were like, yo, you fucking killed that. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think I was definitely, I was definitely nervous the first time I did it. And of course, you know, one of the things, at least for most people, I don't know if it's, it's definitely not true for everyone, but for most people, the good news about the process is it tends to be the shows with smaller audiences, you know, that, that you start out with, you don't usually make it to the bigger audiences, you know, where there's, where there's a higher, you know, higher magnitude if you screw up. Right. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like usually, you know, usually the stakes start out small and they get bigger over time. And in the meantime, you got time to improve, but yeah, I don't know. I think that people were nice to me from the beginning, man. I'm so like eternally grateful for people you know, giving me words of encouragement and, and, you know, encouraging me, yeah, to, to come on and, and, and talk because I think, I think I probably was always nervous about it and practice, you know, improved it, improved it modestly over time, but I'm just, you know, thrilled and grateful that anyone's, you know, willing to listen to me. So just happy to be here, man. I love it. I love it. But then again, I mean, like, what are you going to say? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy to be here. You guys can go. Fuck I mean, he could have been making money instead. He's talking to two bozos right now. That's true. Oh that's God. very, very true. Thank you. Thank you for. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Dude, um, I pre- I appreciate you guys. I appreciate your, your style. I appreciate you guys. I mean, get a wide range of great guests. I mean, you know, I like, I like what you guys are doing a lot. You got, you guys have a great rapport. You have a great format and yeah. 
I mean, I'm I'm honestly a loyal listener of the. I don't list. I don't watch live very much, but I do. I do consume it via podcast, and so I get the feed, man. I I listen to almost all your stuff. No, anything that shows anything that shows up in my podcast, you know, catcher, I listen to, and uh, you know, occasionally I catch it live. But that is tougher when you're when you're allegedly involved with the family of, of multiple kids and allegedly you're launching a product for for a bitcoin company and you know i try to make time but well, I, think I appreciate it man you guys are doing that's incredibly high praise i uh, yeah time and attention are the most precious resources we have so i can't thank you enough man um, i do i do owe andy a, a big debt of gratitude because andy you opened your doors to me before i was like really involved in the bitcoin community and i am forever grateful for that and that you continue to invite me into your home into all of these events despite the fact that i i feel like such an asshole every single time i'm like you guys just i i swear someone like maybe brecky has access to my calendar and then tells you to plan like yo let's do something this weekend like it's it's luck of the draw, man. And I just gotta say, you know, Q. I'm trying to remember the first time. Q is a great example of like how talent rises, you know, in Bitcoin. And you were doing something completely different. You had some experience. I remember podcasting uh, because I uh, I subscribed to your podcast. I listened to I listened to your pod. You know, this is going back a few years now before your Bitcoin Magazine time. Was and, that was uh, that how to how to lose money trying to trade the stock market <laughs> while living in your parents' basement? <laughs> the last part is in, uh, is in parentheses. Yeah, parentheses exactly. The, the first sub, part was actually subtitle. <laughs> sub subtitle: How to lose so much money trading regular securities that you have to focus just on Bitcoin. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm just kidding. So yeah, so so Q, you know. Q showed up. You must have been an intro by CK, I think. Or were you, right? Probably. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's how I, I feel like that's how I found you or how you found me. And uh, yeah, but, but this guy, this guy is, he's a fun, he's a fun guy to have around. He's a great conversation. I remember you telling stories about your time as an agent, right? Oh man, Working yeah. Hollywood agent. And you know some of the, some of the some of the ridiculous stories. Some of the I just remember you you explaining how you you just had to be on at all times and you had to show up everywhere, every party, anytime there was some social engagement, even if it was at you know two o'clock in the morning, you had to be there. And yeah, uh, you know, plus the usual stuff you'd expect about tough personalities making demands, tough personalities making demands on on Q's time and patience. So you were forged. You were forged in a just like Bitcoin. You were forged in a uh, in an adversarial environment there, and as a result, you know you've 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 had great success in the Bitcoin space. And yeah, man, just keep up the good. I work. like imagining. I like imagining Q like eventually like getting getting fired because he's like every situation he's in, he's like, look, I get that you want the money, but what you really need is Bitcoin. And they're like, shut up! Like I just want, I just want points. I just want those. <laughs> I have a real story where, so when I was an agent, I used to take my laptop to work and I, I would have a workstation computer with my phone and everything, but my laptop would just have my E-Trade account up. And I was, from the time I was an assistant all the way until like my last week working, I would be trading during the day. And after some some months, I got a reputation as, as like, oh, like 
what is Q buying? And I remember it was end of summer 2019 and like all the assistants were asking me because like they had just gotten bonuses and like a couple agents were even asking me and I was just like, I wouldn't buy anything in the stock market. I would just go and buy Bitcoin right now. And one of the agents was like, dude, I bought Bitcoin a few years ago and I'm down. I'm like, let me guess. You bought it right at the top and you've been holding, right? He's like, yeah. It's like, perfect. Let's set an alert. The second Bitcoin goes under 5K, let's just double the amount of Bitcoin you have and then don't even think about it. Mind you, this is the man who represents Antonio Banderas and like doesn't need to think about money. So <laughs> I didn't feel bad that he was underwater on his original buy. But I told every assistant, I was like, just do a little bit. And when Bitcoin went on its bull run and I was long gone from Hollywood, I reached out to like a couple of those assistants and I was, I genuinely asked them, I was like, do you ever do it? And one of them responds like, I kick myself every single day and think about that conversation that we had. I'm like, I, I can only lead you to water, my friends. There it is, man. That's the, that's a great story. You know what though? I'm glad for everyone that didn't buy, I'm sure there's one that did. And either way, they learned the lesson of Bitcoin, right? The ones who made money, you know, probably paid a, a lot more attention to it. And the ones that missed the opportunity are kicking themselves and hopefully realizing that there will be another cycle, you know, and the and number does, number tends to go up over time. Disclaimer, uh, past performance, not negative of future results. Yeah, man, that's, that's all you can do. That's all you can do is wherever, whatever your job is, you know, wherever you are in life, sharing what you've learned about Bitcoin, you know, that's how we get adoption. That's how this thing expands. And uh, the more, the better. All right, my friend. It's a learning journey. I think at this point, let's call it a show. Andy, it has been incredible. Thank you for letting us ask you about ESG a dozen different times and uh, insult you and your family by telling you they don't exist. Uh, appreciate everything. And calling told. me a liar. Don't forget you called me a liar. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue <laughs> to perpetuate the lies of Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, um, yeah. Andy, tell everyone how they can stay up to date with all the amazing stuff you are doing and where oh. they can find Okay. Thanks. Thanks, P. Thanks, Q. Really appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a ton of fun. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, Swan is swan.com, swan.com forward slash advisor. If you have a financial advisor in your life and you want to help them get Bitcoin into their clients' portfolios, actual Bitcoin, you know, and I guess I'll just say Twitter is Edstrom Andrew. Those are, those are the ways to find me. Good stuff. My friends, if you have not already got your tickets for Bitcoin Amsterdam, please do so. You can use code BMLive to get 10% off. There are also, you can use the same code to get an edition of our print magazine. Key was holding up the current edition, the censorship resistant issue, but there is also the Orange Party issue, which just came out. There is an insane ad of uh, Bitcoin Magazine Live, me unrecognizable swinging a, a microphone. No, don't spoil it. Okay, fuck you, it, fuck you it. guys have to actually buy it because yeah, the picture, we got a one-page ad. P and I took money out of our own salaries and and went to the print mag and asked them, if we just give you a few pennies and nickels, will you give us an ad? They said, fuck no, but you could pay us millions of dollars and we'll run an ad in the print mag. Let me tell you. We hired a photographer. We had a director of photography there. It was electric. And I've got a lot of blackmail <laughs> on P, so that's also great. But you should just buy the magazine. I like that it's only one way, as if, as if you didn't do anything totally insane. Anyway, 
Our no, art didn't. We had a director of photography, our very own Mills. We had another person there who was screaming at us and telling us to do the our very own Matt O'Dell. It was absolutely incredible. There was violence. There was drinking. It may or may not have been immediately after uh, the episode we did with Matt O'Dell at Bitcoin Park. It was insanity. You'll see it soon, my friends. We will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. Sometime in the near future, I'll eat a shoe. Peace. Hey guys, this is Q from Bitcoin Magazine Live. Bitcoin Magazine and the team that brought you the world's largest Bitcoin conference is bringing the mission of hyper-Bitcoinization global with the inaugural European gathering this fall. Bitcoin Amsterdam takes place October 12th through 14th at the beautiful Westergaas venue in the heart of the city. Join thousands of Bitcoiners for three days of curated Bitcoin content that is relevant to the emerging Bitcoin scene in Europe and the global movement. Confirmed speakers include Dr. Adam Back, Alex Gladstein, Greg Foss, Ray Youssef, and many, many more. This will be an immersive conference which includes hands-on engagements at our proof-of-workshop stage, as well as exclusive content for VIP whales in the deep. Bitcoin Amsterdam's exclamation point will be a massive Bitcoin party and music festival that you won't want to miss. The European installment of Sound Money Fest takes place on day three of the event, October 14th, and admission is included with GA and whale passes. Check out all the details at b.tc forward slash conference and use promo code BMLIVE for 10% off. Ticket prices increase on August 21st, so grab your tickets today for €299 for a GA ticket and €3,499 for VIP whale passes. The censorship-resistant issue of the Bitcoin Magazine print edition is available now. Grab your copy at your local Barnes & Noble store or head on over to the Bitcoin Magazine store and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your order today.